everyone, my name is Jamal McKinney, or you can just call me Juice because that is my nickname. On the Juice Alert today, I have three great topics for you guys covering everything basketball related. The first topic is just flat out that Bill Russell is the most overrated basketball player of all time. I'm going to tell you why Bill Russell is the most overrated basketball player in history. The second topic I'm covering is a Kevin Durant versus Steph Curry debate. Who's the better all-time player? I will discuss that on the Juice Alert today. And also... I'm going to give you guys some of the biggest takeaways of the Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary series. And on today's episode, to discuss these three big topics, I am joined by my dear good friend, Reagan Griffin Jr., who's an aspiring sports journalist and analyst slash broadcaster that attends the University of Southern California, a.k.a. USC. I have a lot of great respect for Reagan Griffin Jr. He's great at articulating the game of basketball. He's an excellent football analyst, just a great sports analyst in general. I have a lot of respect for him. Also, I highly recommend you guys check out the Reagan Griffin Jr. Show, which is Reagan Griffin Jr.'s podcast. Be sure to check that out. It's a sport to Jason podcast. Once again, the Reagan Griffin Jr. Show. You can find that on podcasting platforms as well as YouTube, I believe. You can also find Hoop and Holler podcast. Once again, that's Hoop and Holler in which Reagan joins Eddie's son and his good friend Julio Martinez to talk everything basketball related. That's a great podcast if you are an NBA fan. Be sure to check those two things out. And without further ado, I present to you this episode with my good friend, Reagan Griffin Jr. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, so I'm joined by my guy, Reagan Griffin Jr. So how you doing, man, today? What's good? I'm doing great, man. It's a beautiful day in paradise. Okay, so we're going to transition to some NBA talk. Now, for a while... I, I thought that Bill Russell was a top 10 player for a good while. Now, I always had him around number 9, number 10, maybe number 8. But I always had him in the lower tier of my top 10. Never in my top 5, never over Kobe, no, never over LeBron James, never over Larry Bird. I just don't see that. I think they're way more talented players. And they have the accomplishments, not of Bill, Russell, Bill Russell's caliber, but enough accomplishments where it cancels out because their talent is just so much better than Bill Russell. But as I thought more and more, and Reagan did a, gr- a good job on his podcast talking about how he thinks Bill Russell's overrated. And I got to be honest, after thinking this out, and after seeing ESPN's list that came out saying that Bill Russell is arguably the fourth greatest player of all time, ahead of Kobe, ahead of Magic, ahead of some of these great players that I think are just flat out better. And I got no, I have nothing against ESPN. I don't have nothing against them at all. I, I respect those guys over there. But I got to say, based on, these lists, and I think Bill Russell's overrated. I do. Because when you think about if someone is overrated, what does that mean? Where are they perceived in the first place? If you look at most top 10 lists, I would say 70 to 80% of the time, Bill Russell's going to be on that list. I don't know if he's a quite a top 10 player anymore. I just don't. After looking at the research and diving into some things and just thinking this out. Now, I understand there's the argument that he's the greatest winner of all time in basketball history. Not even going to dispute you there. 11 championships, 12 finals appearances. The greatest winner of all time. Not going to argue that. But the reason why he doesn't make my top 10 after doing some thinking and why I think he's overrated is because as a talent, he really lacks in that area. And part of your greatness is actually how good at basketball are you? He's not as talented as Kobe, not as talented as Magic, not as talented as Bird. And when you look at big men, 
not on Kareem's level as far as talent, not on Akeem Olajuwon's level as, as far as talent, not as talented as Shaq, and I can make the argument Tim Duncan is more talented, and those guys have won championships oh, too. Yeah. And so when you look at Bill, if you just actually go watch a Bill Russell game, what is he doing at elite level? And when we look at the numbers, I'm not big on statistics, but again, these statistics might surprise you. He's never averaged 20 points per game in a season in his career. He's never shot over 50% for his career. He's a 6'10 center. What are we doing here, people? And he's not a great free throw shooter. And when he played in his era, there were 9 to 10 teams in the NBA. So you can say, oh, Bill Russell's got all these titles, man. He's the greatest winner ever. Okay, that's fine. But did he go through? The things that Michael Jordan went through as far as going through all those rounds in the playoffs and facing all these teams. Because if you only have 10 teams in the NBA at the time, and you have the best squad, and Bill Russell most of the time had the best players, he had the best team, you're probably going to win the championship. So he played with a lot of Hall of Famers, a lot of great players. And I got to say, the way Bill Russell is perceived by the media and the way he's covered, I think that he's an overrated player. And... I got to say that I, I put someone like Akeem Olajuwon in the top 10 over Bill Russell, and you can make the argument Kevin Durant, Will Chamberlain, Steph Curry, whoever you want, you can say they're better than him. So what do you think about Bill Russell being an overrated player? You pretty much probably agree with that, but you can probably expand on that a little bit more because you were the first one to the punch, I would say. Hey, man. I mean, you, you said a lot of it, and I'm going to preface this because I, 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 I'm a Lakers fan, and I know a lot of people will hear my take on it and immediately just assume, oh, he's a biased Lakers fan. He's just hating on the Celtics. You know, he, he doesn't know. He never watched. I mean, I got in a Twitter debate. Dude's just looking at me. You never watched any Bill Russell tape, man. Go watch the tape. You ain't never seen no Bill Russell. Bro, this is me speaking objectively. As a basketball observer, as somebody who knows the game, as somebody who you know has been an analyst of the game for a very uh, for as long, you know, I'm only 19 years old, but I've been analyzing players within this game for a, a pretty decent chunk of my life. Um, and I do think Bill Russell is a top 15 player of all time, just based on his, his accolades that he's achieved over the course of his career. But when we talk about the greatest players of all time, I, I want to define uh, as best as I can. I want to define greatness. And that's really hard to do, but what, what I've boiled it down to is, is greatness is equivalent to what, what legacy that you leave on the game of basketball. And legacy, to me, is comprised of three things, being the accolades that you acquired, the impact that you had on the game and, and culture in general, and then the talent that you displayed. And the reason that Bill Russell is a top 15 player all time to me is because, you know, he, he has the accolades and he has a, had a huge impact on both the game and culture in general. Bill Russell was a guy who, off the court, made a lot of progress towards uh, social justice and civil rights and things of that nature. So, yeah, I'll give him the top 15 nod. But when we talk about as a basketball talent, as a basketball talent, come on. What are we, like, like you said, what are we doing? What are we doing? Go watch some Bill Russell tape. He was good at three things. He was he could defend in the post, he could protect the rim, and he could rebound. I'll wait, man. If you could tell me anything else that he did at an all-time <laughs> level, I, I, I'll, I'll wait out and hear it. But like, I, I, from what I could observe, that dude did those three things at an all-time great level and nothing else. Um, he only won, He averaged 15 points per game, essentially, on his career on 40. 4% shooting from the field, and that's on 42 minutes a game, mind you. In 42 oh. minutes a game, you're coming out with 15 <laughs> points on 44% shooting? 15 that, points. That's a good Come point. On. That's a great point. 
No, I didn't even, I even realized that. Yeah, I mean, come on now. Like, we, we've established that his value to the team, you know, it, it essentially comes entirely on the defensive end of the court, right? Now, yeah. even at their best, how many guys throughout the course of NBA history do we put at the all-time great level when their only value to the court came on defense? I mean, we're looking yeah. at, like, Rico yeah. Fair, Draymond Green. Jonathan Isaac, Dennis Rodman, those are the guys that we're talking about here. Well, I mean, you got to score the basketball. you got to put the ball in the rim to be amongst the greatest players of all time. Dude, those guys are fringe all-stars at best. And this is in a time, right, when I talk about Rudy Gobert and Draymond Green, those are guys that are playing in a time when defense is as difficult as it's ever been. You can't be as nearly as physical as you used to be able to be. Um, and you have, and there's a lot more space that you have to operate within on the basketball court. The game is so stretched out now. Dudes are pulling up from darn near. Bill, Bill Russell was not switching on to Steph Curry and Klay Thompson no, and things of that nature. No, they weren't running pick and rolls like that, man. That dude was not having to do everything that Bill Russell did came essentially within five feet of the basket, which is fine. But like, there's a limit to how much impact you can have on the game when you're only operating within that much of the space. So what does that mean for Bill Russell? I'm, I'm going to say it, man. He is the greatest role player of all time. And that's no that's a pretty good, that. that's a bombshell right there. <laughs> there is no shame in being the greatest role player of all time. Top 15 player, Hall of Famer. Hall, I mean, he's, I'm not, I will never dispute that he's a Hall of Famer. I'll never dispute that he's a top 15 player. And to be a top 15 player as a role player, that's insane. That's an insane accomplishment. But he, he was the heart and soul that drove those Celtics team to 11 championships. He did the dirty work that no one else could do. But the bottom line is, when your impact is rebound, post-defense, and rim protection, no matter how well you do those things, you're still a role player. You're a role player at that point, man. You are a role player. And, and there's honor in that, like I said. But if you go watch the tape, and you, you just can't say that he did that many things at a generationally talented level. You're going to see a lot of rebounds. You're going to see a lot of, you know, put back layups, but there's nothing <laughs> exceptional, man. And, and, and the question is, right, because it, it begs the question, why then do we view Bill Russell in the light that we did? And it, it comes from the fact that those Celtics teams were so dominant. And I'll go so far as to say this. When you look at a team that wins 11 championships, you're going to look at, okay, why is this team winning 11 championships? And in a time where the NBA was predominantly white dudes who weren't all that athletic, when you look at a 6'10 Bill Russell, it's hard not to say, okay, that guy's got to be the reason why they're really good. Look at him. Like, he looks physically so much different than everyone else, but that that, that doesn't tell the whole story. That That's just a little bit, I'm not going to lie to you, man, that's a little bit of narrative. The real generational player, I mean, people, a lot of times, when I, when I bring up the whole point of, you know, the, the, the era that he played in and the people that he played around, People like to bring up Will Chamberlain because they like to say, because I'm a huge Will, Will Chamberlain advocate, they like to say, well, Reagan, you have to have the same energy for Will Chamberlain then, because yeah, they played in the same era. No, I don't. I guess you want to you know what I said to those people? I need those people to go to Home Depot, find them some duct tape, all right? Make sure they social distance. Don't get too close to no one now. Go get some of some duct tape. Go home, sit down, and put the duct tape over their mouth because they're spouting BS. It's BS, man. It's BS. Will Chamberlain averaged literally twice as many points 
as Bill Russell play, play, Swap the players. Swap the players and you tell me what happens. Will, Will Chamberlain might Will Chamberlain might have been a top three player of all time. If you if you combine the winning I was talking I was talking to my dad about that earlier. I was like, Dad, what if you swap Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell? It's I mean the, the dude that Will Chamberlain was physically I mean, I'm not sure people really understand. Like, they, they like to equate Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain a lot because they came from the same era. But the dude that Will Chamberlain was physically, man, people don't really have a grasp, man. The dude was, he was a world-class 400-meter dash runner. You look at, you know, the Michael Johnsons of the world. He was the equivalent of that at that period of time. He was a world-class track and field star. He was able to bench 500 pounds, put a corner on top of the backboard. He averaged over 48 minutes a game one season. Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell, you know, to, to say like the kids like to say to you, we not the same. If I'm Will Chamberlain, I'm looking at Bill Russell, we not the same, dog. We not the same. Like, it is, it's a, he's a different dude physically, not just for that era, but for any era, period. And, and if you need any more evidence to that, I mean, just look at Will and Bill when they went head-to-head. Look at just look at the averages. Will Chamberlain twenty nine point nine points per game, twenty eight point one rebounds per game on forty eight point eight percent from the field. Bill Russell fourteen point two points per game. Yeah, five less rebounds, thirty seven percent from the field. Come on, man, what are we doing? And yeah, and here's here's what happens when I make that argument to people, man. They they go back and they say, well, Bill Russell won twenty more games than Will Chamberlain in those head to heads. And that's what the argument always circles back to when it comes to Bill Russell, is the winning. And that's not what I'm trying to say here, because Bill Russell is not just the greatest winner in basketball history, I think Bill Russell's the greatest winner in all of sports history. And for that reason, like I keep saying, top 15 player all time. But when we look at these guys from a purely, objectively basketball talent perspective, Bill Russell ain't up there, man. He's not up there. I, I refuse to believe it. He's not up there. He was a very, very, very talented role player, and that's about it. And again, this is not to bash Bill Russell. This is just to, you know, say, hey, we got opinions. We got a little bit of a hot take. And again, we didn't do this. We the, the people that are putting these lists out there are doing this to you guys. We are giving you the medicine. We are the doctors. We are saying, no, 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 no. You need that Robitussin. You know, you need to actually watch the film. You need to watch the tape. Yes, sir. You need, you need to look you. at things but beyond just championships. And, again, it's not a knock on Bill Russell. Top 15 player of all time. You know, I think that he's right outside the top um, 10. He's probably around eh, 12, 13 range, 11 maybe. And, again, I won't be super mad at you if you put him in your top 10. But he better not be over, he better not be over Kobe. He better not be over uh, Magic Johnson. He can't be over Larry Bird. He can't even be over yeah. K- Hakeem. I mean, you can maybe make the argument just simply because Bill Russell won more than Hakeem that that maybe cancels things out. But again, it's about what you value. And as I dove deeper more into this, I said, I, I mean, championships matter, no doubt, but that's more organizational things. That's more team-oriented. Let's talk about the player itself. And if Bill Russell exactly. went out there and scored like 30 points per game some years. Exactly. and Exactly. Then, then that's fine, but you can't have your cake and eat it, too. You know, he was a dominant defender. He was a great rebounder. He was a great winner. He's done a lot of things off the court. Bill Russell, if you were watching this, I, I mean, no shame or nothing towards you. But I'm sorry, Bill Russell is the most overrated basketball player in history. And it's not because of what I've done. It's not because of what Reagan's done. It's because of what you guys have done by putting him on these lists and saying he's better than Kobe. He's better than Magic. Oh, stop it. So that's all I got to say about that. All right, Reagan. So you think Steph Curry is a top 10 player of all time. And honestly, 
I'm not gonna argue yeah. that too much because Steph Curry is lethal. Steph Curry's won titles. He's the greatest shooter of all time. But when you were on your podcast, you said that you would put Kev- you would put Steph Curry over Kevin Durant. And I disagree. So I want to debate you on this a little bit. So I'm gonna go first. I'm on the Kevin Durant side. And look, you know, I'm not gonna be super duper mad at you if you put Curry over Durant, but you're bugging on the low. And I'll tell you why. Who's bigger? Durant. Who's got more scoring titles? Who's got, who's got more scoring titles? Durant. Who's the better rebounder? Durant. Who's more efficient? Durant. Who's the better defender? Durant. And when we put when we and when we talk about Kevin Durant, the biggest knock on him is that he blew that three one lead versus the Warriors. And I will admit that happened. Not gonna sugarcoat that. I do think that Russell Westbrook contributed to that as well. But Kevin Durant, he's got to hold that L two. But Steph Curry, let's not absolve him of what he's done. He blew a 3-1 lead in the NBA Finals. And while you can say, oh, Kevin Durant choked, he lost to that 73-win Warriors team. Guess what? That team won 73 games. So was Kevin Durant supposed to win that series? I mean, I think most people favor Golden State. I I do. And Steph Curry, he didn't play so well in the NBA Finals once LeBron James had Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving all healthy. I, I, I didn't see the same Steph Curry that was the unanimous MVP. I'm just saying. And Kevin Durant led his team to the NBA Finals at age 23 years old. People forget that. They forget that. Now, he lost to that Miami Heat team. I think that that OKC team was not quite ready to win a title because let's be real. After LeBron James choked to the Dallas Mavericks, that guy was, you know, he was after everybody that next year. If he had lost the NBA Finals to a 23-year-old Kevin Durant, oh, man, that'd be bad for his legacy, okay? And he's already got that bad choke job. So, I don't knock Kevin Durant too much for losing that final just simply because he got there. Steph Curry, meanwhile, 23 years old, while Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant was getting to NBA Finals, he was missing the playoffs and averaged 14.7 points per game. And a lot of injuries contributed to the downfall of OKC. There were some trades that James Harden trade that OKC got hosed in. And we can also attribute Scott Brooks and Billy Donovan and their lack of coaching adjustments to why things potentially didn't work in OKC. Sometimes Scott Brooks was not the best as far as getting, you know, the whole team involved. Not great as far as implementing the creative offense, the ball movement. Same with Billy Donovan, a rookie head coach. And Russell Westbrook, he's very talented, but Russell Westbrook, as as, as far as his turnovers go, as far as his inconsistent shooting at times, I think that whole K- held KD back a little bit. You know, when Steph Curry got Steve Curry as his head coach, he took off. If you give Kevin Durant a Steve Curry and that OKC team, maybe the roles are switched. That's all I'm going to say there. In the playoffs, I'm sorry. Got to take KD over Steph. Kevin Durant has led the NBA playoffs and scoring four different times. And when Kevin Durant was on the Warriors, you know who the best player was? It was Kevin Durant, not Steph Curry. I'm sorry if that hurts Warriors fans' feelings. And again, I, I, I'm a Kevin Durant fan, so... You know, I supported the Warriors for a little while. But either way, Kevin Durant was the guy that took those shots in LeBron's face. And I believe J.R. Smith's face in game number three of the second finals, which he won. He was the guy that hit the clutch shots. And are we sure that if if they don't have Kevin Durant, they don't become a dynasty? Are we sure the NBA would have not caught up to the Warriors? I think Kevin Durant extended that dynasty. And Steph Curry, you can't have your cake and eat, eat it too. Is Can we knock Steph Curry a little bit for saying, hey, you know, I'm a great player, but I had to have Kevin Durant come to my team, and I'm not even the best player on that team anymore. So, LeBron, but look, real quick, I'm just going to bring up this one last point. Yeah, Kevin Durant was giving LeBron James 35-7-5 in those finals. He was undisputedly the best player in those finals. 
Steph Curry, at times you can marginalize him a little bit, get a little physical with him, put long, lengthy defenders on him. He's not the same player at times. And there I say, if they had Kevin Durant in that Raptors series, would they have won the finals? I think so. So why do you have Curry over Durant? All right, here is the thing, man. And I, I just brought this up in the Bill Russell debate, right? Oh, We're boy. We're talking about the greatest players of all time. Okay. And when I think about greatness, I think about legacy. And when I think about legacy, I think about the, 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 the compilation of accolades, impact, and talent. I'm weighing all three of those things equally. And when it comes to talent, I'm not even I'm not even gonna dispute you. Kevin Durant is a far more talented basketball player than Stephen Curry. Kevin Durant is one of the most talented, physically gifted basketball players that we've ever seen in basketball history. I'll, I'll concede that. I think he's top three as far as ability. Yeah, I mean yeah, he's he's no doubt up there. Um so let's look at the accolades. Kevin Durant has four more all star berths. He has the Rookie of the Year. He has more All-NBA nods. But with that, Stephen Curry's reached the pinnacle more in terms of he has one more championship and he has one more MVP and he has the only unanimous MVP in NBA history. So I call that a wash. Honestly, given that, you know, it, it, you can say that Kevin Durant has more accolades, but Stephen, Durant, or, Stephen Curry has more uh, quality accolades than Kevin Durant. However... When we approach impact, when we start talking about what is the impact that you had on the game of basketball, you can make an argument that Stephen Curry, there's no player in NBA history that's ever had more of an impact, with the exception of probably Michael Jordan and LeBron James, that's never had more of an impact on basketball than Stephen Curry. We've seen this dude single-handedly Usher in this new era of three-point-oriented, space-oriented, movement-oriented basketball, man. Single-handedly, he has changed the trajectory of the way basketball is played. And I say in terms of impact, uh, in terms of culture, it, it goes to Jordan and LeBron, obviously. But when it goes in terms of how basketball is actually played, I'm not sure there's a more impactful player in NBA history than Stephen Curry. So... Because they, they kind of have a washout when it comes to accolades, and even though K Steph, or KD is more talented than Stephen Curry, because Steph's impact on the game of basketball was so profound, I give the slight edge to Stephen Curry. Now, here's the thing. Yeah, I, I can say that, and I know you probably need a little bit more because not everyone looks at greatness in the same way that I look at greatness. So we talk about uh, you know the story of Kevin Durant joining that Warriors team. It's a pretty simple question, man. Who needed who? Who needed who more? When we look at KD pre-Steph, he was an MVP, all-world talent, but at the end of the day, that Golden State Warriors team, that was the barrier that he couldn't overcome. He could not overcome getting past that Warriors team. Pre-KD, who was Steph? Two-time MVP unanimous MVP, NBA Finals Championship, coming off the best regular season in NBA history. Who came, head hung, you know, hands in their pockets, looking down, hey Steph, can I come to y'all? Y'all look like y'all. <laughs> Draymond was crying a little bit, but go ahead, yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah Draymond, Draymond had to do a little bit of begging, but here's the thing. 
KD went to Steph, and that's an indictment on Kevin Durant. If you have, if you can't establish it where you're at, and you have to go hop on the bandwagon of something that Stephen Curry essentially established himself, you tell me who's the greater player, man. And, and you and you brought up, you know, how how Kevin Durant elevated those teams. Those teams would not have been. Let me just put it like this: If you take Stephen Curry off of those teams. Versus if you take Kevin Durant off those teams, give me the teams with Stephen Curry on them all day long. Because Stephen Curry was the ultimate engine that propelled that Warriors system forward. When we think about the way that the Warriors play basketball, it was a very space-oriented game. And the reason that there was so much space to operate with on the court is because, do you understand, Do you know the concept of, uh, of gravity, of player gravity? Yeah, I get a guy, I get a guy idea. So, so like, the, the, the gravity that Stephen Curry carried with him, essentially, what I'm saying is, anywhere where Stephen Curry is on the court, essentially, once he passes half court, you have to account for that dude wherever he is on the court. And the, that is the reason why we saw Draymond Green be able to have such an important role in the pick-and-roll game, while we saw Clay Thompson get so many wide-open threes. And Stephen Curry is a guy that moved as, about as well as anyone has ever moved off of the ball. So when you have to account for that dude scurrying around the court all of the time for the entirety of the 40 minute, 48 minutes of the game, that's the engine that really made the Warriors go. So yeah, Kevin Durant was a talented player. He was this seven-footer dude with the handle that could shoot from 35 feet out. But it's easy to disregard that 6'3 dude scurrying around, but I'm telling you, man, that was the dude that was really making everything go. And you can make the argument that when, it, when push came to shove and it came to the clutch moments, KD was the ultimate thing that 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 put it that put them over the top. I'll concede that argument because Kevin Durant is a more clutch player than Stephen Curry. However, you don't get to those clutch moments to begin with without the value that Stephen Curry brings to the court. That impact is why he's greater than Kevin Durant. I got a little mini rebuttal. I, I'm not going to argue about Steph Curry's overall impact just simply because, like you said, he's arguably the most impactful player just as far as basketball goes, maybe ever. But let's not act like Kevin Durant didn't have a little bit of an impact either. You know, you look at center, you look at centers and six foot nine and six ten guys. Ever since Kevin Durant stepped foot on that court, everyone's been trying to everyone that's at his height, around like six ten, six nine, six eleven, even some seven footers. You look at Bol Bol. They're trying to be like KD. And you look at some college coaches. In the in the NCAA, some of these college coaches do simply just do not want back to the basket players anymore. Okay, as far as right. big men, you at least need to be able to handle the ball a little bit, be able to at least knock down a mid-range shot, and you can point to Steph Curry as far as the evolution of the game, no doubt, but as far as people coming up, they're honestly trying to be like KD if they're around 7 foot, 6 foot, 10, or things of that nature, so while Curry may have had more of an overall impact, I think Durant's impact is more underrated than people would get, it's more underrated, I would say, yeah, it's underrated, and again, here's the thing with Kevin Durant's impact, though. Versus Stephen Curry's impact, and the reason why Stephen Curry's impact to me is far greater and it really doesn't even compare is because what Stephen Curry did, that's repeatable. The reason why Kevin Durant's impact can only go so far is really because Kevin Durant is such a special player. There's no, like, regardless of how tall you are, there's a rare human being that's able to manipulate their body the way that Kevin Durant is able to at his height. That's not something that, you know, any seven-footer can just go out and do, but any team, you know, can work on their shooting. Any team can say, we're going to move off of the ball. 
anything you can, you know what I mean? Stephen Curry, we've seen the impact already disseminate into the NBA because what he did and what the Warriors did, that's repeatable. They essentially, they, they revolutionized something when it came to basketball. KD didn't really revolutionize anything because he's such a individually talented player that you can't really repeat that unless you're maybe like a Monty Bates or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's not really so much of an impact because it's not repeatable with KD. What, what, what we have with Stephen Curry, that, that's repeatable. So that, that's my rebuttal there. And I go back to who was who would I rather have? I'm starting a franchise. I'd rather have KD. I'm sorry. I know Steph yeah, Curry is a I'm, I'm, No, I'm with you, man. I would rather have KD too because he's the ultimately more talented player. And I've seen Steph Curry be marginalized by longer defenders. When you get a little physical with him, he's not the same Steph Curry. You can't take Kevin Durant out of the game, honestly. I mean, you hope he misses. I mean, even back when he was with my when he played Miami in the finals, the guy averaged 30 points on LeBron James' head as a 23-year-old. Now, he may have not been there in the more clutcher moments because he was still, you know, getting his feet wet as far as the big moment goes, but... I, I don't know, man. I just think that Kevin Durant, you know, some people are making the argument he's arguably the best player in basketball, maybe potentially. He's at least top three right now. I think that he's just a more better overall individual player. I, I think it's I think it's honestly robbery that he hasn't gotten at least some talk for an all-defensive team. He should at least get an all-defensive third team. I mean, come on, NBA writers. What are we doing here? He's playing really good defense. He's very underrated as a defender. I mean, Steph Curry's level, he can steal, I think, like, I think like once or twice, but... I think that I'd take Kevin Durant's defense over Steph Curry's defense. And, again, I, I get the argument, but I got to take Durant. That, that's not really my, my point here. Is cause, uh, an individ, as, as far as individual talent goes, it's not it's not even a question. Kevin Durant is one of the, if not the most talented players to ever step foot on. You value the, the legacy part more. It's the, yeah, it's the legacy that really, you know, in turn, and Kevin Durant still has a lot of time and space to improve upon his legacy. So this, this is sure. the end-all, be-all. But as, in terms of the legacy and the impact that Stephen Curry has already had on the game, it, it, like we, we, when you tell the story of the NBA, and, you know, my, my kids asking me, you know, 20 years down the line, whenever I have my kids, Dad, why do we play basketball like that? Stephen Curry. When we talk about he literally is the reason why teams play basketball the way that they do, we're talking about naming levels of the impact here. When we talk about literally changing the trajectory of basketball history in terms of the way teams function as a unit, that's Stephen Curry, man. That to me, when you when you go that far as to affect the game, that that's about as valuable as you can be. That that's why I always carry so much weight for Magic. You know, that's why Magic still edges out Curry in terms of the point guard speed, because Magic made the, the game, he made it popular to play with a lot of tempo. It was a very slow game before where it was a lot of back to the basket. Magic had this game where we had the space, we had the movement, and we're moving the ball around, and we're getting up and down the court as fast as possible. I mean, and then Stephen Curry was the next evolution of that. So that's why I still have Magic up there, because of the impact that he's had on the way basketball is being played. To me, that's the greatest impact that any player can have on basketball, with the exception of Michael Jordan because of what he did for it culturally. If you change the way the game is played, you gotta you you, you gotta be up there, man. I can I can understand your argument, but I still gotta go Durant for all the reasons I said. But either way, let's move on to Michael Jordan and the last dance. I wanna get your thoughts on this really quickly. What are your thoughts on, what's your biggest takeaway overall from the last dance? We have all the time in the world, so you can go ahead and dive into wherever you want. Just what's your biggest takeaway from MJ as far as what you took away from watching the last dance? Yeah, man. Um, or it could be about dance, Scotty, the coach, just whatever you thought from the, the episodes. For sure. 
Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of things to take away. I, I didn't know about the, I mean, I'm watching this from the perspective of someone that didn't experience it, right? Um, it was a thing that I did with my dad every Sunday night. We would sit down and we'd watch the two episodes of the Last Dance documentary. Um, and he's looking at it from the perspective of someone who's lived through it, seen it, and he's reminiscing and looking back on it, right? I'm looking at it from the perspective of someone who didn't see this firsthand. So I'm asking him all these questions throughout the course of the documentary. How do people view this player? How do people view that player? What's the context of this? What's the context of that? So it was two very different viewing experiences right next to each other between me and my father. Um, but the biggest takeaway, man, for me, I now because I always knew people viewed Jordan as the goat. I always personally viewed Jordan as the goat. Those are the things that people told me. Um, but I never really got to truly grasp why. And uh, you can watch the tape and you can you know look at the numbers all you want, but there's nothing like experiencing experiencing it firsthand that gives you a true gauge on why this person is viewed in the light that they are. Um, so when it came to the Last Dance documentary. Although it was a bit of a biased piece of work, it was not really meant to, you know, do a, you know, multifaceted examination of what Michael Jordan's career was. Um, it was pretty much told from Jordan's perspective, which is fine. Um, what the what the documentary did such a great job of is putting the people who weren't there in that 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 space and, and making you feel as though you're experiencing what Jordan was to the people that viewed him at that period of time. Um, and now I understand more than I ever did before why people view him as the GOAT. And the reason is that, that I really extracted, you never saw Michael Jordan get taken off his throne. You saw nope. him you, you saw him take himself off, you saw him retire, but in his time, you never saw Michael Jordan say you never saw somebody step to Michael Jordan, look him dead in the face and say, You're not the best player anymore, I am. And we've seen that by just about every other player in the NBA. When you think about LeBron, and you just brought, we talked about KD, we've seen KD hit that shot in LeBron's face, look him in the face, you're not the best player anymore, it's my crown now. We've seen um, uh, uh, Kobe be dethroned by, by the Celtics. We've seen all these all-time great players, even Bill Russell, the greatest winner of all time, he didn't win every single championship. He, he lost one of them. Exactly. So Michael Jordan, we never saw him. During the course of his prime, no player was ever able to step to Michael Jordan and say, you're not the king anymore, I am. Reggie Miller came close. He came real close to it. He never was able to accomplish it. Um, and that's why people really view him as a goat, because this whole concept of a person being dethroned and having the crown taken away from him, that really sticks in your memory. It's hard to shake that, 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 that image, right, of the player, head hung low, walking off the court as you see the opposing team's confetti all around you. We never got that image of Jordan. So the only image that we have of Jordan is the um, the, the victorious one. The, the, the fist clenched, the, the championship image of Jordan. That's the only image that anyone ever has of Jordan in his prime because he never was dethroned. Once he got that first championship, it was three back to back to back. Then he took himself off the throne and went to go play basketball or baseball. Then he put himself back on the throne, came back. Granted, that first year he came back in the middle of the season, he didn't win the championship, but I'm not sure anyone was really holding him to that considering that he wasn't conditioned at that point in time. He came back in the middle of the season towards the, the time of the playoffs. Um, but once he got another full season under his belt, back again to being on top. And then he wins, he wins one, two, and three again. Then he retires. So we never saw Jordan get the throne. And I, we actually had this debate on our podcast because if we would have seen Jordan and that Bulls team play 
to its extent and really finish out those guys' careers until they weren't able to win anymore. Like, say they, they played the next year, and maybe they won another championship. That was a lockout season. They didn't play as many games. Those guys were older, so they would have had more rest. Um, maybe they beat that Spurs team in the finals, and you get seven rings. But if, we, if they go to that 2000 finals, and we see Kobe Bryant hit an iconic shot in the face of Michael Jordan, and those that Lakers team ends up beating that Bulls team. People, people will be chirping defeated. a little bit. They be chirping. Exactly. We see the old, defeated Michael Jordan head off of that Lakers court as Kobe Bryant is back victorious. We would have seen Kobe Bryant strip the throne from Michael Jordan. Because we never got that image of Michael Jordan, that's why people view him as the GOAT. Because he was the ultimate championship, uh, uh, ultimate champion, excuse me. And uh, there was a quote that um, he said at the end of the documentary. Um, that really resonated with me because it was essentially the biggest overarching message that the documentary was sending to me. Michael Jordan said something along the lines of, say what you will about me, but you will not win until I quit. And that's that. That's, that's honestly what happened. The, exactly. Exactly. That's the biggest takeaway for me from the last hand documentary is that people view Jordan as the greatest of all time because no one, when he was in his prime, he was unbeatable. No one could beat that dude. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm gonna come out with a video pretty soon about this. Jordan's the greatest player of all time. No one can change my mind. You, LeBron James fanboys, gotta stop. I respect Kobe a lot, but he's not the goat. We already talked about Bill Russell being the most overrated basketball player of all time. Magic is good, but not quite on MJ's level. Magic lost to MJ in the finals. Okay, so I don't want to hear that. Michael Jordan is just by far the greatest basketball player of all time. It's not even close. And I've always said that. You know, we, I'm going to use a football analogy. We look at Tom Brady. Tom Brady, most accomplished quarterback of all time. He's the GOAT in my opinion. I'm not going to dispute that. I understand people argue for Peyton Manning. I understand people argue for Joe Montana. But I don't understand why. But what I will say about Tom Brady is that I understand why they do it simply because Tom Brady does not always win the argument of most dominant, undisputed, best quarterback in football. That honestly goes to Peyton Manning. That goes to Aaron Rodgers. Those guys are more talented. Okay, when you look at them, they threw a better football hey, than Tom Brady. Up. Yeah, they, they threw a better football than Tom Brady. And when we look at Tom Brady, his first three rings, I'm not trying to knock him for it, but it's not like he was the best quarterback in football. It's not like he was Patrick Mahomes. It's not like he was Aaron Rodgers. He was more of a game manager, just big on third down. He was a clutch player, but not dominating the sport. Michael Jordan actually dominated basketball. He's the he was one of the most talented guys. I've always said that as far as as far as scoring goes, you know, it's Kevin Durant, it's Kobe Bryant, or Michael Jordan. Whichever three you want to put over the other, I don't care. I think Kevin Durant's the most talented scorer of all time. I think Kobe could get the hottest out of the three, and Michael Jordan combines efficiency, the relentlessness, and just a clutch gene. So I, I probably give the edge to Jordan as far as greatest scorer ever, simply because he did in a dominant defensive era. He's the all-time leading scorer at 30 points per game. So, yeah, all you people that think Michael Jordan's not the GOAT, I'm sorry, but I, I don't know. You lose a little stripes for me. But either way, my biggest takeaway is that things were different back then. You know, I, th I really think they were because social media is a real thing today. It wasn't a real thing back then. There was the press releases. There was the newspapers. But... It wasn't like Twitter nowadays where people are type, 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 everything. You know, instantly we get the analysis. And I think people back then just appreciated who Michael Jordan was as a basketball player and as a person. And mainly probably because he was just so much better than everyone else. There was a huge gap. Maybe that was the case. But 
there were obviously critics, but I think people more so appreciated Michael Jordan rather than just tearing him down like they nitpicked, they nitpicked Kevin Durant, they nitpicked Steph Curry, they nitpicked LeBron James to a T. Yeah. I think that Michael Jordan got the criticism, criticism, no doubt, but if he were playing in today's era, let's say he couldn't get past the Warriors, they say he's James Harden, scores a bunch of points, but doesn't win enough. And when he gets a real head coach in Phil Jackson, they'll say, is Michael Jordan a product of Phil Jackson? I honestly think that those were, those would be the headlines that we would actually be reading. And people just appreciate Michael Jordan back then. So that's one of my biggest takeaways. And I just think that people appreciate him. He's the GOAT in my opinion. That's the biggest takeaway I have. I wanted to get your thoughts on the MLB baseball uh, thing with Michael Jordan, the minor league baseball thing. I think that Michael Jordan, if he didn't play basketball, if he spent all his time playing baseball, I think he could develop into a major league player. And here's why. He's got the athletic okay. tools. You know, I played baseball, you know. Baseball is more of a skills sport. You know, you have to actually work on your tools. Sometimes being the best athlete doesn't mean you're going to be the best baseball player, but it definitely helps. You know, you can, st you can steal bases. You can play the outfield. It allows you to play multiple positions, second base, shortstop, third base, all that good stuff. So from an athletically gifted perspective, Michael Jordan had that, you know, to his, to his you know, advantage. And I think that he could work his body into being more of a baseball player. You know, he worked on his core more when he stopped playing basketball and things of that nature. And I do think that if Michael Jordan got the amount of reps and was brought up just strictly playing baseball with his competitive drive to probably try to win every pitch, to study every pitcher's, you know, you know, pitch or whatever you want to call it. I mean, he would just be a student of the game. And when you play baseball, you have to really be a student of the game to, to succeed in the major leagues because everyone's so talented. And I think that Michael Jordan would be a good baseball player for all those reasons. You think he'd be a, uh, I don't know how good he would be, but I think he can make a major league roster. Your thoughts? I mean, it was definitely obsessive about whatever he was doing, right? Like, they talked about how when he was playing Major League Baseball, he struggled with his hitting, and the dude would be up there at 5 o'clock in the morning working on his swing, making sure he was following through and all that. And I'm not the biggest, you know, connoisseur of baseball, but I do know, you know, if you're walking away from the batting cage with blisters on your hands because you were swinging the bat so much, you know, you were probably, you know, willing to put in the work that it took to become a really good baseball player. So I do agree with you. I've heard a lot of stories about how, you know, when Michael Jordan played baseball, he was he was sucked and he wasn't this and he wasn't that. When we think about you know Tom Brady in, in the in the in a Super Bowl or in, in any sort of clutch game, when we think about Russell Wilson, um, there, there's certain dudes that you just don't bet against. Michael Jordan is one of those people. If Michael Jordan says, "Hey, I'm going to be a major league baseball player." I'm not going to be the dude to sit up there and say, no, you can't, Michael Jordan. You're not going to be able to do that. That dude took everything personally. He probably would have been like, oh, you don't think I can become a major league baseball player? And then he probably would have ended up becoming Barry Bonds or something because I said that to him. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to be the dude to put just about anything past Michael Jordan in terms of what he can accomplish athletically. I do agree with you. I think he could have definitely made a major league roster if he really, really put his mind to it. Now, as far as Sky Pippen, do you think that he's more of, as far as the perception of people go, you think he's more of a loser or a winner from this documentary series? Honestly, I don't have anything against Pippen, but I think that he's kind of more on the sour side of people's minds. You know, I think that people realize that Michael Jordan appreciated him, but he kind of looked bad at times, that documentary. You know, the whole situation with Tony Kukoc, him not going into yeah. the game saying, yeah, you want to put Tony Kukoc in there to, you know, take the last shot, fine. I'm not going to be on the court. And then Tony Kukoc makes the shot. What are you doing? Yeah. And then, um, obviously, he had the whole contract situation. You know, he was underpaid by the Bulls. He despised that. And I, I understand that. And then 
him pushing his surgery back, which really affected the team. Michael Jordan to carry the load because Scottie Pippen didn't want to have surgery during the summer because he didn't want to, quote-unquote, mess up his good time in the summer. So, honestly, I don't really care too much. I mean, I care about it, obviously, because that's a that's being a bad teammate. But I'm not more so. I'm not personally going to ridicule Scottie too much because I understand where he's coming from at times. But at the same time, I think that among the general public, they're looking at Scottie and saying, man, what, what was he doing? What are your thoughts? I, I agree with you. I, the, the, me, me and my roommate, Eddie, actually, when we talked about this, there were a lot of times where the documentary did not do enough to paint Scotty White in a good light, or Scotty Pippen in a good light. And in the beginning, he was really somewhat of a sympathetic figure because, you know, Jerry Krause was this stingy, um, micromanaging person, and he didn't want to give Scotty Pippen the, the money that he deserved. And he essentially took advantage of him because of the background that he was coming from. So he put forth this really long deal with not a whole lot of money knowing what Scottie Pippen could have become. Um, and then he ended up did be, he ended up becoming that, and, and he was really getting a raw deal in terms of his contract. Um, the only thing that Scottie Pippen did that I fault him for was, was not going into the game because Phil Jackson made that decision. I don't even fault him for being mad that he didn't get the shot. I fault him for not going in there and dating by his team. Right, so right. And I give him cre- I give him credit for that um, game six performance when he was he had that back injury you know versus Carmelo oh in the Jazz that was a gussy performance so I think that he gets some brownie points from some people but I still think that there's the perception that you know yeah people think that he was kind of a bad teammate I don't really care but you know that's how people think yeah um I, honestly when I, one of the biggest takeaways. For me, outside of anything, Michael Tumulain was that performance with that back injury. Like I was talking with my friend Julio, and he's he was a former basketball player. Unfortunately, his career had to end because of back injuries. And he's talking about, man, there's just no way that a human should be able to play through that sort of pain. I mean, you literally see this dude dipping up and down the court. The fact that he can even still be a body out there is remarkable to me. So that was really one of the truly gutsy things that I saw throughout the course of the entire documentary. Um, but it really, it was a Michael Jordan documentary, right? A lot of the creative direction was oriented by Michael Jordan. So if this is Michael Jordan trying to tell the Michael Jordan story, he's not going to delve into matters of Scotty Pippen too, too much. Um, and one of the biggest failures of the documentary, I think, is not highlighting exactly how good Scotty Pippen was during those years where Michael Jordan left to go play baseball. Um, I mean, the dude was third in MVP voting for a season. And, you know, they kind of painted it as once Michael Jordan left, Phil Jackson and the team perfected triangle offense and where it became this well-oiled machine in terms of moving the ball and moving around the court. But they didn't highlight exactly how pivotal that Scottie Pippen was to advancing that because the dude was one of the best players in basketball at that point in time. Um, and a lot of people like to discredit Scottie Pippen's ability because once he left the Bulls for the Trailblazers, um, he wasn't nearly as good, but I think people lose the context of realizing, hey, the dude messed up his back that last uh, final series with the Bulls, and he really wasn't this, ever the same after that, and he was already aging to begin with. So that's the biggest thing that I think the documentary didn't do well in regards to Scotty Pippen is highlighting exactly how talented he was because it's not like he's just this Robin to uh, Michael Jordan. The dude had a lot of value to bring to the court, both in terms of his uh, ball-facilitating ability, his defensive ability, his high IQ. He brought a lot of talent. It's not like a... a I wouldn't go so far as to say that he was, you know, on the same level as Michael Jordan, obviously. But, you know, to say that, you know, he he was just this really good role player, like we were talking about Bill Russell being, no, it's not that by any stretch of the word. Scottie Pippen was a star, no doubt. Yeah, I tend to agree. Now, as far as the Bulls' management goes, 
I, I gotta give him some credit for at least starting the dynasty. I mean, Jerry Krause, he's a, yeah. he's a great eye for talent. I'm not gonna knock him for putting this team together, but it just always seemed like they want the credit. And we could talk about organizations, all that good stuff, but in reality, it's about how it's about what the players do. It's not about the general man. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just think that Krause and them always wanted the credit, and I'm not gonna bash them too much simply because they created the dynasty as far as getting the players together and things of that nature, but. At the same time, if I'm Michael Jordan, I'm a little upset because I feel like you could potentially want another title. But like you said, if Michael Jordan w- goes 7-1 in finals and Kobe Bryant's a game-winning shot in Game 7 over him to take the throne for him, from him, then that might be a little stain on MJ's legacy. I still probably would give him the GOAT nod. But, yeah, I mean, also I do think that the Bulls, I don't think they would have routed off like 10 straight titles just simply because they were worn down that last finals. That, that sick... In that game six versus the Jazz, Scottie Pippen could barely walk in that game, okay? So, and MJ was had a lot of minutes. He was already drained out from being this huge star off the court. As big of a, of a star as LeBron James is off the court, I don't even know if he reached Michael Jordan's level off the court. I just don't know. I think that dude is an absolute rock star off the court as far as the fans go. So, again, would I have liked the Bulls to have been put together more and wrote, wrote it out more to see if they could have won? Eight championships, you know, went eight, eight and zero in finals. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like it was the right time. Right, and I, I agree with you. Um, all good things must come to an end. And one of the most interesting things about the documentary, it was kind of a twist ending, right? Because you had Phil Jackson, um, who the owner eventually came to him and said, "Hey, you've earned this opportunity to come be the head coach again. We can do this for another year." Um, but Phil Jackson ultimately was the guy to make the decision and say, "No, nah, this, this is over." Um, and he's a guy that has a very strong understanding of human nature and, and really uh, almost um, existential understanding of reality. Um, and he's a very high intellectual person. Um, and if he's the guy that's saying, you know what, this, this thing's run its course, I'm going to trust Phil Jackson if he really believes that that thing had run its course. So, um, I, it, you know, as a fan, obviously you want to see this goal for as long as possible. You want to get as many Jordan highlight plays, as many images of them holding up the ranks as possible. But Bill Jackson, man, he, he ended up coaching my Lakers, and he, he the way that he really approaches his coaching style, it, it's very respectable. Um, and I'm not going to be the one to question his decision-making. Yeah, and the last thing I got to say is that this whole narrative that Michael Jordan played in a watered-down NBA I don't buy it. And you could talk about LeBron James. That guy played a watered-down Eastern Conference. No disrespect to Paul George and Roy Hibbert, but that's the best competition LeBron had to go through in the East, arguably. I don't think LeBron James makes nine straight finals playing in the West where he has to go through the Spurs and the Warriors, which were his kryptonites. I don't, th- I don't think he would have I don't think he would have sniffed nine straight finals. Well, eight straight finals, nine appearances. Here's, here's my thing, right? Because... We end up creating these narratives out of the results that, that, that come about. And it's easy to look back and say that Jordan played in a watered-down NBA because he was so dominant. But had Jordan not... He caused the watered-down... Exactly. He caused this perception of it being watered-down because he stood toe-to-toe and beat those Jazz teams, because he beat those Knicks teams, because he overcame the Pistons, because he, he was able to beat the Lakers. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you if he ends up losing to those teams, we view those teams in a different light because John Stockton and Carl Malone, they now have a ring. And, and you know, a Reggie Miller, he makes these finals. So we can call it watered-down because of the results that we've seen. 
or we can accept the fact that Jordan was that good that he overcame what was not a watered-down NBA, actually a really darn good NBA, and he was just that much better than everyone else. That's the reality of it. It wasn't a watered-down NBA. Jordan was just that good. That's what people need to understand. No doubt, 100%. And we're going to wrap things up, man. I appreciate you for coming on. This was great man, talking to you. It's a pleasure, man. Yeah, no doubt. You're doing great things. Be sure to subscribe to my guy Reagan Griffin Jr.'s podcast, The Reagan Griffin Jr. Show. Be sure to check him out on Hoop and Holler podcast. Just type in Hoop and Holler to podcasting platforms. You'll find him via Square One Media. He does a lot of good things. Man, I appreciate you for coming on. This was fun. This was a lot of fun, man. You're going to have to come on my junk one of these days. Oh, no doubt. I'd be, I'd be down to do that anytime, man. No doubt. Just hit me up. Sure, for sure. Thank you so much for watching this video today. Please also note that the Juice Alert Sports Podcast is not just a YouTube channel. It is available on all podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed this video, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share this content with all your friends. This podcast is my favorite thing in the entire world right now. It is my passion. I want more people to listen to this podcast. I really want this podcast to grow. Also, a fun fact about me is that I want to go into the sports broadcasting and media world once I graduate from the University of Toledo, a college in Northern Ohio. I currently am a freshman there right now. I am looking to become one of the next great sports broadcasters and analysts out in the world. I potentially would like to start my own network if this podcast really truly grows, or if I fall short of that goal, I would love to work for a big-time network like ESPN or Fox Sports 1. I am open to all networks. So if you believe in my dreams and you see or hear my passion through the screen, be sure to tell all your friends about the Juice Alert Sports Podcast. Stay motivated, you guys. Have a God-blessed day, and I'm out.